Welcome to Chat About Breakdown, an Ace Attorney podcast brought to you by me, Jay Costello, a freelance writer. And today I'm joined by, and I'm very honored, professional fanbite podcast host, Diego Arreixo. Wow, thank you. So that was the surprise <laughs> introduction you were talking about. <laughs> well, I've never had a professional podcaster on our podcast before, Diego. Oh, come on. I think we have like <laughs> less experience in podcasts than you. That's not true. Mm, we have the exact same amount of experience because we both have recorded the same amount of our podcast turn about breakdown, which I did realize as I was introducing this, I did make it sound for the sake of this joke like it's my podcast, which I feel bad about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, we make sacrifices for jokes here. I mean, if you both have like the same experience, that means we're both professionals. No, that's not true, because that I, I didn't finish my sentence, which is that you are now fanbite featured contributor, which means that you get paid to podcast, which does not happen to me. <laughs> I mean, I have your PayPal, so <laughs> that, that can change if you want. <laughs> I don't think you can pay me to do the show that we do together. I don't think that would work out somehow. <laughs> I mean, if you want to pull some strings and get me on a fanbite podcast, I'm not going to complain. Okay. Yeah, we can talk about <laughs> that after the show. We have both been on a fanbite podcast before. That's how this all started. It's true. Yeah. Good times. Um, We finished Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney today, Diego. I can't fucking believe it. Wow. We really did it. I'm like, I mean, it's been long. It's been like a long couple of months since we started. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been since we started recording. Didn't we start recording in, like, October or something? Mm, that sounds about right, yeah. That's only three months, so, like, yeah. Like, I was saying that, like, oh my god, that was such a long time ago. But no, actually, it was a couple of months, as you said. Yeah, honestly, yeah, we got through it pretty quick. But it still feels like this is... Um, how do I explain this? I'm still surprised every time we put one of these podcast episodes out. Like, oh, we record a real podcast that really exists that people listen to. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we get too much into reminiscing about a whole a whole season, I suppose, of our podcast, we Hell have to yeah. finish talking about Rise from the Ashes, a very, very emotional end to this game, if you ask me. I mean, judging by the six, seven pages of notes that you have in the podcast notes, I will um, say, How yeah. many of these are mine? I, uh, yeah, I wrote six pages of notes. That must yeah. be our longest, my longest yet. That's amazing. I didn't even notice. I think you broke your previous record for sure. Yeah, my previous record, of course, being one of the Miles Edgeworth ones. I think it was actually the first one rather than the second one. All right, well, we better get into it because I wrote a lot. I've, uh, before <laughs> I say that, but I have to actually open the notes properly. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, remember, one of us is a professional podcaster? It's not me. <laughs> uh. um, we picked up this episode just in time for an investigation. At a very tragic point, just like we did when we split the last case, which is, uh, that's our new specialty. Lana just sort of basically admitted to the fact that they forged evidence and Emma was very very upset about it apologizing to Phoenix and um then immediately also talking about her very traumatic experience in the Joe Dark case where she was attacked and Neil Marshall who's Jake Marshall's brother came to defend her and was killed in front of her it's just a great way to start uh what is a very emotional case all the way through I think a completely normal series of events really mm -hmm. yeah 
And I do think from here, right, we get into what I think is going to be my bugbear for the rest of this episode. Not really a bugbear, but like the thing that I kept coming back to in my notes at least. So there's there's usually one of these for every episode, um, which I did mention in the last one, which is like the way that it presents the forged evidence, particularly when it comes to the way that it talks about how Edgeworth used the evidence. Um, which I think is a big deal, right? Because even though this case was added later, it really brings out this narrative thread hmm. about Edgeworth. You know, it starts with everyone being like, oh, Edgeworth, like in, in the second case when Phoenix has to go off against him, you know, everyone talks about how maybe he forged evidence and then basically through the whole the whole game, Phoenix is like, yeah, he probably did. And there's all these rumors about him. And then even at the beginning of this case, it's like, oh, these rumors are really uh, escalating. And then through this case, we basically learn that he did present forged evidence in court, which is his responsibility, but he really didn't know that it was forged. And they basically put the whole thing on Lana and, spoilers, <laughs> Damon Gant for having forged the evidence in the first place. I don't know, it feels complicated to me uh, in a way where it feels slightly like an absolution for Edgeworth. In a way that's confused, like, they're not confusing to me, but in a way that's complicated for me because I sort of feel like, well, we'll get to it as it comes up through, but um, yeah, it comes up right here at the beginning where Emma is like, oh, I'm sure he didn't know about it. And we know that Emma is an Edgeworth stan, so, you know, that's her perspective. But yeah, it definitely, like, sort of occurred to me right at the beginning here. And then uh, I just wanted to mention it because I know I'm going to end up coming back to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I agree on your point. There's, like, this absolution to him. But I think it goes, like, there's more to that. It's complicated and he also, like, this later half of the case brings up to, like, a lot of other stuff about mm. both departments, basically. So Yeah. Um, another thing that Emma says is, like, obviously this traumatic experience that she had was the reason that she wanted to become a forensic investigator. Specifically, you know, she wanted to make sure that evidence always does exist to be able to convict somebody. And it's just very tragic. Um, and very Phoenix right in the way where it's like, oh, a traumatic experience from your childhood informed your entire life path. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this one, I was going to say more tragic than most. Not necessarily. There's a lot of tragic ones, but this one is definitely up there among that list. Yeah, yeah. And she also mentions that Lana was a, a detective at the time of the Joe Dark killings, not a prosecutor, which is very important for the rest of the case. And I wanted to clarify because I had forgotten that and I definitely said that wrong last week. But more importantly, <laughs> to go back to Edgeworth very quickly, um, <laughs> it does like really complicate his whole thing where he's like, oh yeah, I just really trust the detectives on every case because uh, it's like, well, this beginning of where all the rumors started, like, you clearly shouldn't have trusted the detectives. <laughs> so, yikes. Police, Whoops. huh? Mm. Speaking of that, like, oh my god, the next thing immediately after that is like, oh yeah, so what happened in the Joe Clark killings is that he was a serial killer who, like, accidentally hit someone with his car and then just went on this rampage, killing the witnesses, and then there was a witness to that killing, so he ended up killing, like, more people and more people. And there was no actual evidence, but eventually he turned himself in, and then, oops, the detectives accidentally let him escape. Yeah, Great just... job. <laughs> I mean, his motivation for the serial killing is kind of weird. I think the only, the only like reason or motive I can see is that something we've been talking about in pretty much every past episode is that in this game, even if you like commit a crime by accident, you're like immediately guilty of it. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. Going like a killing rampage afterwards is kind of like why? 
Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, actually, like how that ties into that, because that comes up again later on. But yeah, I hadn't thought about the fact that, like, it would almost make more sense for him to go on this, like, rampage because he's like, I really can't get caught for this because I'm not just going to be convicted for, like, dangerous driving or something like that. I'm literally going to be convicted for murder. <laughs> um... This whole system is bad. Yeah. No surprises at this point, but... <laughs> no. But wow. Um, they really get into it in this case, for sure. Yes, we... So... <laughs> We have to go back to Edgeworth because there's just more Edgeworth stuff. We have a few different conversations here. We talk to Marshall about how the evidence was always fishy. And he says, like, Joe Dark always used the same knife for his murders, but he knows that it doesn't fit what happened to his brother. Um, and then later on, the tip of the knife was found in his brother's body. So he's like, well, who set that up? And Jake Marshall basically says, like, I know it was Damon Gant who did this and I don't blame Edgeworth at all. And it's like... I don't know, it just feels so different from how the previous four cases set up Edgeworth as, like, someone who had really fucked up in his life. Not not fucked up, because that makes it sound like an accident. Like, who had knowingly eyes open made fucked up choices, you know? Yeah. It just feels like it goes back on that a little bit, I feel like. And then also they talk about how... Uh, Lana had changed after SL9. She she went into the prosecutor's office and they sort of imply like, oh, well, Damon Gant was holding it over her that he knew that she had forged evidence on his behalf, basically. So now he had control over both the police as the chief police and the prosecutor's office because she's the chief prosecutor and he, you know, has this hold over her. So he's a bad guy. Peace. And then we see his office. After spending so much of last week talking about Edward's office, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Damon Gatt has another office, huh? It's not an office, it's a fucking church, basically. And they made an office around it. <laughs> it really is. Uh, main feature of this office is a huge fucking organ. You know, the thing that you have in an office. <laughs> and also a suit of armor with a sword. Normal. Normal. Everyone in this case is normal. <laughs> so I basically have like two main takeaways from this. I mean, first of all, I had like completely forgotten how this office looked. So it was like a <laughs> surprise again. I really like the detail of, I mean, we heard like his quote unquote song or like theme in the first half. Uh, and that mainly features like an organ. Mm. And actually seeing the organ there is like, ah, okay. I like that. Yeah, that is clever. It's super clever. Yeah. And the other being, I think this validates, or like, I want to believe it validates my theory of the boss fights in the game. Because this looks like a fucking last boss liar to me. <laughs> At a first glance, basically. It really does, God. Like, the, the suit of armor and the music and even the, like, that blue lighting that the room has. Um... I don't know, just like full for thought for my weird yeah. theory. And also the fact that like, not only do we, you know, talk to Gant in this room, obviously like the final confrontation, as it were, happens in court because the game, but you know, he shows up in this room and he's clearly like threatening and like basically saying he's going to get away with stuff. And then not only that, but also like, it was like a final confrontation that went down in that room because that's where the murder happened. The murder of Neil Marshall, right? True. So that was like the final confrontation in that whole case, both in terms of the actual killing and in terms of the investigation and <laughs> everything that happened from there. <laughs> so yeah, final boss room. I totally agree. So the main part of this investigation, I would say, is um, Edgeworth angst. <laughs> I know I just talked about how I felt the Edgeworth parts of this case are quite complicated, but this part was not complicated at all. 
It was just sad. I mean, first is a kind of setup. We talk to Gumshoe and he's like, I feel like Edgeworth might just crack under all the pressure that's happening. Prescient things to say. (laughs) And then we speak to Edgeworth himself. He does basically act as if he would never knowingly present falsified evidence. So I guess at this point it's confirmed. And as I said, we can talk for as long as we want about how we feel about that. But the rest of this conversation is so sad that at this point, I'll let it slide. (laughs) Phoenix finds his resignation letter. Oh, I think this is before he even finds it, but Edgeworth says, it seems all you do is worry about me because that's all Phoenix does. It's it's (laughs) accurate. Um, I just spilled tea on myself while I was saying that. That's how emotional I am about this. (laughs) Edgeworth, yeah, Edgeworth, when we walk into the room, like screws up his resignation letter, Phoenix then in front of him picks it up, reads it, and then steals it. Wild gay people behavior, if you ask me. (laughs) Having said that, I feel like if I was Phoenix, like, I've just witnessed the entirety of Edgeworth's character arc from a front row seat, right? Yeah. Especially this part where Edgeworth's literally like, oh my god, I presented falsified evidence and I would never do that. Again, how we feel about that as a narrative beat is separate from the fact that, you know, that is what he's saying. Hmm. Um, And if I was Phoenix, I would be like, yeah, okay, it seems like a pretty good time to, you know, take a break, get your head straight, stop being a dickhead, and then, you know, see what you want to do and, you know, figure things out. But Phoenix is like, oh my god, he can't possibly retire as a prosecutor. And I'm like, Phoenix, you know prosecutors are fucked up, right? They're all fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like if I was Felix, I would be like, yeah, yeah, you can resign. It's fine. But he decidedly is not. And neither is Gumshoe. Because when Gumshoe finds out about this, he's immediately like, oh my god, we have to solve this whole murder. And he lets Phoenix and Emma investigate Gant's office, even though he is very much not supposed to do that. And he later gets in trouble for it. But luckily, he doesn't get fired, which is nice. Yeah, you like how the game frames that. Which is like... No, no, there's no way. There's no way that I can, like, let you in in the dance <laughs> office. And then we go with the resignation later, and he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, here, here's my ID. Go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gumshoe, like, I said this in the last case, but, like, Gumshoe has no reason to be as, like, hardcore on Edgeworth's side as he is. <laughs> but he's just very loyal. He's a, he's a sweet boy. <laughs> he's a loyal himbo, I think. Yes, he certainly is. <laughs> um... Oh, this is a point that I, I came up with last week and I was like, holy shit. And then I forgot to say it in the podcast. So luckily it comes back up again, right? So obviously Emma and Lana are presented as like Maya and Mia. Like in terms of Emma becomes Phoenix's assistant. She's like, you know, they have fairly similar personalities. They're both quite bubbly, quite enthusiastic, that sort of thing. And then there's Lana and Mia who like literally knew each other. They're like quite put together. They're quite... You know, they're, they're both very good in their field and they're both lawyers, obviously. And, you know, it, it's like supposed to be a parallel for those two. Yeah. But I feel so strongly that Emma and Lana is also supposed to be a parallel to Phoenix and Edgeworth because, like, Emma is so obsessed with protecting Lana and Lana, like, doesn't respond to it. And everyone talks about, oh, how she got so cold and stuff and she, like, won't talk about her emotions <laughs> kind of thing and as i was replaying this i was like oh yeah like it's just so a parallel to the way that phoenix tries to protect edgeworth especially in the last case and edgeworth like is like so shut off to it oh my god it's it's fucked up <laughs> shout outs to the narrative designers of this game <laughs> that's such a good point though like, Thank I, you. Can't, I can't see it that way 
<laughs> All of my best points are about Felix and Edgeworth. <laughs> Uh, yes, for the rest of this investigation, we, we go and investigate Gant's office, and he has a safe full of evidence from the SL9 case, the Joe Dark killings, where he has a piece of the jar that we made earlier, and it has blood on it, um, and he has a big piece of leather that, you know, just is, like, hanging out by itself, and it's got Emma's fingerprints on it, which Felix is like, oh shit, don't tell Emma, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> funny. Um, and then Gant shows up, basically arrests Emma and kicks phoenix out of his office obviously um there's an incredible line from lana where she says mia did a good job mentoring you i'm rather jealous which is gay and then immediately after that she's like edgeworth told me that you never give up basically that one's not a direct quote but it's like the double gay gut punch oh my god it's like (laughs) too much in one go um and finally, Lana basically admits that she had no choice but to cooperate with Gan about Goodman. And she says, like, yeah, I admit I didn't actually kill him. I was trying to take the body out of the car on Gant's orders. And I found that he'd been stabbed with the SL9 knife. And I was like, well, I like I can't leave this evidence here. So she stabbed him with Edgeworth's knife, which is why Edgeworth should not have kept a knife in his car, if you ask me. Yeah, especially if it's such a big knife. It's not like something like... <laughs> You you will see and be like, oh yeah, maybe if he has like some trouble with his car or something like mechanics related, that makes sense. Like having like a toolkit or something, but this is like a fucking knife. It makes no sense. God, there's a line I forgot about this, and I never saw. I never actually did it. There's a line where I think it's if you um spray luminol fluid in Edra's office, there's like a small blood stain, and they talk about this might not be at the same time, but they also talk about how um. Like, Emma talks, like, why would Edgeworth have this knife in his car? And I think she's like, oh, I think he goes hiking and stuff. Like, he do- he's such a rugged adventurer. And Felix is like, that man wears a fucking cravat. There's no way. Um, <laughs> and then they're talking about, like, what was the bloodstain from? And um, I can't remember what Emma says, but Felix is like, oh, he was probably peeling an apple with his stupid knife and he cut himself <laughs> by accident, which I can see that happening. I'm just remembering that off the top of my head because I never saw it on this playthrough but like it's something like that <laughs> um uh, fuck. great game um yeah uh anything i missed from the investigation because that was a that was a pretty chaotic one uh i don't think so i think it was much easier to follow and since mm. like the stakes are, are already so high that it's like i don't know uh there's like more confrontations and more like quote-unquote like story moments mm. that aren't just like I'm basically, like, poking everything in this room until, like, it lets me progress forward. Yeah, apart from the stuff that we find in the safe, it's not really an investigation. It's more just, like, talking yeah. to a lot of people. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, a lot of Edgeworth setup. <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, there's even more afterwards, which mm-hmm. is, like, I think I wrote somewhere here. There's, like, this case is basically, like, I don't know, like, more material to, like, the fandom, basically. I have, like, no doubts about it. Yeah, I mean, it's like I was saying last time, where they were like, oh, we wrote the whole trilogy, and then we came back and wrote this case, and, like, by that point, we realized that, like, everyone loves Miles, especially, like, Phoenix and Miles I, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can so tell they, like, added stuff in afterwards. And, I mean, I think that's where, going back to the whole Edgeworth forgery thing, I think that's where they, like, did a little bit of retconning on that as well. That's the impression that I get, you know? Because they knew, like, where Edgeworth goes from here. And, like, spoilers, he gets a lot less of an asshole. 
you know? Hmm. So they were like, oh, we'll like plant the seeds back here, I think. I still have more to say on this, so we'll get to it. That's cool. Yeah, so the rest of this case is a three-part trial, which is pretty intense. When we start off, Emma still isn't back. And so Phoenix is in the lobby like, oh, I guess I'm... Oh, and Lana's not there either. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm all by myself. And then Edgeworth shows up. <laughs> and there's a great little detail in this. The, like I said, there's like three parts to the trial. And at the beginning of all of them, Edgeworth is there, even though like, that's the defendant's lobby. Like, it's supposed to be for defense people. <laughs> <laughs> but at the beginning of the trial, he's like, I just wanted to point out that when we go in there, like, basically there's no reason for the judge not to rule Lana guilty. So what are you going to do about that? And Phoenix is like, well, you'll have to work with me if you ever want to know what happened in SL9. And like, that's important to you personally because of the whole forged evidence thing. And Edgeworth is like, I'll think about it. And then immediately in the trial, he's like, yeah, I, I'm obviously going to work with you though. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, I think, like you said, like, so much of this is obviously, like, feeding the fandom, but I feel like another thing is that they had figured out, like, the Phoenix-Edgeworth banter and especially, like, court rivalry sort of dialogue so much better by the time they came back to do this case and, like, this final trial part. I mean, like, they are still being rivals, but they're obviously also working together and it's, like, it's really fucking good. (laughs) Yeah. And I know, like, all of these, like, hints and stuff are gonna be, like... I mean, they're already, like, apparent for you because you play the rest of the series. Uh, but they're gonna become more apparent for me as I go through the rest of the trilogy, which is exciting, I think. I'm definitely excited for you to see some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, the judge kicks off this case with a pun, which should be illegal in a courtroom, I think. <laughs> I have no objections, sorry, to that, so... I'm hanging up. I'm cancelling the podcast. <laughs> you, t- you tell the judge pun story. I have to recover. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, so, so Gan shows up uh, and he keeps saying the, the same stuff about, hey, have you been swimming much lately to the judge? Um... And the judge basically says, no, I've been drowning in my own work enough as is. Boo. Which is, like, incredible. It's incredible, Boo. right, team? Boo. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, one of the things that's really good about this case is, like, uh, Gan and the judge are, like, really good friends. And it's like, mm, that's questionable given the rest of this fucking trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can see that friendship getting in the way a couple of times, which is yes. not great. I do feel like, to jump ahead a bit, like, obviously we do end up with Gant getting found guilty because it's a Felix Wright game. And the judge is like, oh, you used to really, like, care about justice and stuff, and now you don't. Like, I, he's basically like, I can no longer call you a friend or something like that. And I'm like, that seems like a bit of a cop-out for the judge, to be honest, who we know has, like, been extremely shady through this entire game. Yeah. Yeah, not shady in the way that, oh, he's just, like, naive or, like, plain, plain stupid, I would say, at this point. But with this case, it becomes apparent that it's just like, uh, he might be like shielding some people because of their status, because of their personal relationship with them or whatever. Uh, and it sucks, really. Yeah, exactly. He definitely got off very lightly in terms of the narrative. Um, but back to the beginning of the trial, uh, Lana basically gets on the stand immediately and is like, I have decided to forfeit my right to an attorney. So basically, Phoenix is fired and I want you to like 
give a ruling immediately. And the judge is like, well, yeah, I guess. And Phoenix and Edgeworth are like, oh, our plan to work together has been foiled immediately. And I just love the fact that Lana was immediately like, no, I know what's going to happen here. These two motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is the moment where I was like, Edgeworth just fully... Like, okay, so in this case, the judge is like, basically, how do I know I can trust you, Edgeworth? Because everyone knows that you presented fake evidence. And Edgeworth is like, well, what if the defense called all the witnesses this time and stuff? Which is very funny because, like, they're so clearly working together that it's like, I don't think that should have worked. <laughs> but it does. <laughs> um, but I feel like this whole thing where Edgeworth comes around to, like, basically being on, on the same side as Phoenix, and I've definitely mentioned this before, but, like, Ace Attorney's whole thesis on, like, how the legal system could work in this world is, like, lawyers on both sides of the court, like, work together by arguing their cases until they find the truth of the matter. And this case is definitely, like, where they're showing an example of that, um, even though they haven't really, like, expressed it properly yet in the game. Yeah. And... I just think it would be so much of a stronger, like, character moment for Edgeworth if they hadn't spent the whole of the previous investigation being like, oh, Edgeworth never really did anything wrong, um, except, like, not um, study his evidence well enough, you know, and, like, make sure that it was all legit. I feel like if he had genuinely fucked up with intention and then come around, it would have just been such a stronger character moment, this part where he starts, like, being fully on Phoenix's side, you know? True. Yeah. Anyway, then there's a line where Phoenix says to him, um, Phoenix, like, says of him, um, you've got to admire him for his courage, seeing as he has no evidence when he's, like, swinging for Gant, basically. And I'm like, Phoenix, that's your whole job. Like, you can't <laughs> accuse him of that. <laughs> and then there's, like, oh my god, there's, like, so much of this, these moments in this where, like, I said it earlier, but they really got the banter down for this episode. Um... They put Emma on the stand and she testifies about what she saw in the Joe Dark killings. And it's a very intense testimony, obviously, because she's talking about like when she was 14 and she saw someone get killed right in front of her and like she thought she was going to die. And like, it's a very traumatic experience. And there's just Phoenix and Edgeworth like bickering over it. Like, um, she's like, oh, I, I drew something. And Edgeworth's like, oh, well, I never received it. And Phoenix is like, this little girl put her whole heart into drawing this picture and yet you would deny its existence? Like, he didn't have to say it like that. <laughs> anyway, plot twist is on the back of a piece of evidence, which is like callbacks to the fucking second case of this game where the note that said my honor had a receipt on the back that turned out to be really important. Everyone in this game needs to learn to turn their evidence over. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm guilty of that because every time... They were like, oh, maybe there's something like hidden in this or this evidence. And they were like, oh, yeah, that evidence I completely ignore. As soon as yeah. it was handed to me, basically. It is funny, like, in this case, um, this is the first time we've been introduced to, like, the idea that you can, like, rotate the evidence and, like, look at it and stuff yourself. And so, yeah, in this case, it would be more like, have you looked at the back of this evidence personally? Um, that comes back in other games. And, like, I think... If you haven't just played four games where you didn't have to do that, it becomes more of a habit, you know? But because it's, like, suddenly new in this one, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Don't you want to look at our new 3D evidence, please? <laughs> yeah, they do so many things in this case. One of the ones which is definitely, like, a so... Like, I was so overthinking it is like a couple of times, I swear this happens more than once, the judge is like, oh yeah, this testimony seems fine to me. And it's, they just cut to Edgeworth. Saying nothing, doing his little folded arms 
emo emo sprite with his eyes closed you know like he's just sitting there like i don't have to say anything because phoenix is gonna like like me and phoenix are working together and it's phoenix's job to do this cross-examination he just it just seems cute to me it just seems like he trusts him a lot and it's very much the light-hearted part of this case whereas emma's actual testimony is like extremely sad yeah speaking of that at one point like emma's so one of the contradictions is that like emma drew a picture which I talked about already because <laughs> Phoenix has a go at Edgeworth for no reason about it. <laughs> um, and in it, she, like, the knife is blunt. And Phoenix is like, well, how is that possible? Because, like, he hadn't been stabbed yet when, like, the memory of this picture that you drew, like, he hadn't have been stabbed at that point. And Edgeworth, like, defends her memory because he's like, well, she was in shock. Like, it's natural for her to have like not a very good memory of what happened which is like firstly just true and like an empathetic thing to say but then it's like oh oh this is a fucking dl6 callback right like he's defending his own bad memory when he says this and it just made me remember like i wanted to say this about the steel samurai case as well because he's kind of like this about cody as well like when cody's testifying he's kind of protective over him and um, I noticed it at the time, but I, I couldn't talk about it at the time because we hadn't played the DL6 case yet. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, like every time there's a child on the stand, like Edra thinks about his own experiences. That's so sad. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a great little to pick up on. Fuck. It's so sad. It also makes it funnier because like in the DL6, <laughs> sorry, in the Steel Samurai case, like there were so many moments where Edgeworth and Phoenix just arguing over Cody, like genuinely upset him. And it's like, for God's sake, Edgeworth. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, it happens in this case as well. Like they definitely make things way harder for Emma by like bickering. Yeah. God, and there's another DL6, like, vibes moment in this case where they basically slowly come to the conclusion that Emma must have been the person who pushed Neil into the suit of armor with the sword that's in the office because, of course, that was involved in the murder. You know, she thought that it was dark, so she, like, pushed him out of self-defense and he fell into the suit of armor and was killed. That's, like, one of the theories at one point. And when Phoenix realizes this, he can't say it. Like, he's like, oh, I, I can't, like, accuse Emma of doing that. And so Edgeworth accuses her of it. And I'm like, oh my god. Like, he spent that whole amount of time thinking that he'd killed his father and, like, finally admitted it to Phoenix after, like, 15 years. And now he's doing the same thing to Emma. Oh my god. Like, I'm spiraling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So by the end of this first part of the trial, the theory is, like, yeah, Emma pushed Neil by accident. Well, on purpose, but she she didn't realise it was him and she accidentally killed him. And this, like, raises so many questions because firstly, like, they dialed back the all murder is murder thing. You know, you brought it up again earlier, but we talked about it in the Edgeworth case where he accidentally shot... Well, he didn't accidentally shoot his father. They thought he did. And they spent so much time talking about how that's exactly the same as, like, premeditated murder, even though it's literally not. Um... They dial it down in this one. They definitely are a lot more sympathetic towards Emma, um, which is weird, like, when you play them back to back, the two cases. But again, I think this is partly because the actual case came out so much later. True. And I mean, this is definitely the better take on it, but it's still weird. And I think it's really interesting because they present this theory, but there's still a lot of holes in it. And at first, they really 
go in on it. Like, well, like everyone in the courtroom really believes that Emma must have accidentally killed Neil. <laughs> and then it's like, when you actually think about it, you're like, so for example, one of the pieces of evidence is the broken jar with the blood on it. They're like, oh, e like it had Emma written on it. And like, it must've been Neil Marshall leaving a message. But it's like, why would he do that? Like I, they, they do this a lot. Like that's evidence that happens quite often in Ace Attorney. Like, you know, people leave messages and stuff. But again, it goes back to the Maya note from uh, the second case where it was like, you know, why would Mia actually accuse her sister of doing it? Like, go through all the effort to, like, be like, yeah, convict my sister of this murder, you know? Um, and why would Neil Marshall do that to Emma? And, like, it's definitely, I assume, like, now that I'm saying out loud, it's supposed to remind you of that and be like, oh, that seems like the sort of message that would be faked, like it was in the second case, you know? Yeah. But then that's a bit incongruous because everyone in the courtroom is immediately like, oh, wow, this proves that Emma accidentally killed Neil and that... And that in turn also proves that Edgeworth presented fake evidence. Um, it turns out that second part is actually true. But this whole case ends with Edgeworth like basically realizing that he did present fake evidence and being like, sorry, this this part of the trial I should say ends with like that realization from Edgeworth and Phoenix is like, okay, but Joe Dark really was a murderer. Like it was okay to <laughs> to convict him based on fake evidence. And I'm like, one Phoenix. That's a very interesting ethic. <laughs> <laughs> and two like two gay three <laughs> chronic defense attorney brain like edgeworth isn't on trial he's not your client you can just chill right now okay <laughs> <laughs> it's so intense <laughs> um yeah so then we we get a recess we move into the second part of the trial in this recess, Gumshoe shows up with a book of evidence law and it's got a message from Lana in it that's like, if you're planning to take him on, him being Gant, you're going to need this book. And it's like, Felix Wright should know about evidence law, but okay, we're gonna we're gonna go with this. It's one other thing that is like he has one of the best covers I've ever seen in my life. He has an extremely cute bird on it. With a detective hat, I think. It's like just like <laughs> Leaning on his chair in the office. Yeah, and a little magnifying glass as well. Oh, it's so good. Um, Edgeworth is here again because he's here throughout all the recesses for reasons. What reasons? Well, character development reasons and gay reasons, if you ask me. Um... <laughs> <laughs> just, just watching Diego fuck around with my notes. Don't even worry about it. Um, and then you tell me about the puns. Well... Here's the thing about this pun. I wrote, Edgeworth is like, I'm still only here to find the truth. Some would call this a turnabout. Now that is a pun. What did I mean by it? I have no memory. <laughs> so, good job. I only wrote this yesterday. I assume it's like the turnabout in Edgeworth's... Um... Oh yeah, yeah, because obviously he was going to retire... Uh, not retire, but resign. And... He's like, oh yeah, my why you know why I haven't resigned right now is because I'm here to find the truth. Whereas before he was all like, I'm here to convict criminals. So that's Miles Edgeworth's turnabout in the first game. Hmm. And Phoenix is like, I really have to get to the bottom of this because this case has hurt too many people. But that's like directly after they just talked about how upset Edgeworth is about having presented fake evidence. And I'm like, <laughs> again, that was basically Edgeworth's fault. So like, yeah. He has a right to be upset about it, but also he has way less right to be upset about it than most other people involved here, especially like Emma. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then we go into the court again. We learn that, you know, Phoenix tries to call Detective Gant, Detective Gant, Chief of Police Gant, and we find out that he has the right to refuse to testify. Normal system, great system, everything is fine here. Yeah, fucking cool. Although I will say, like, 
uh, he's like, Phoenix has found all of this evidence illegally. Like, he stole it from my safe. How is this allowed? And Phoenix is like, really upset about it. But it's like, okay, that's technically true though. I mean... <laughs> you did steal this evidence. Yeah, I don't know. It is illegal. But at the same time, it's like... If there were to do, like, so many exceptions as they often do in mm. court, I think this would be... I mean, it ends up, like, panning out and in the end, but, yeah, I don't know. Weird system. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I think the thing about it is, right, like, um, I, I just feel like they shouldn't have brought it up at all, because if you try and compare it with, like, how intense they are about, like, forged evidence, like, Phoenix stealing evidence surely is also, like, a thing that could be compared to that, you know? Like, I know it's in the opposite direction because it's, like, real evidence that was hidden rather than fake evidence that they put forward, but it's, like, it's a weird little moment. Yeah. This part of the trial, I don't really know if I can describe this properly, but, like, the way that, like, Edgeworth is so relentless in in attacking Gan and Phoenix is just being dragged along (laughs) by him. (laughs) Um, Edgeworth, like, keeps asserting that, like, Gan has been manipulating Lana this whole time, which we kind of know is true from, like, the investigation sections and stuff. But the judge and Gant both keep being like, Edgeworth, are you really sure you want to accuse him of doing that? And Edgeworth keeps just being like, there's no going back now. And Phoenix is like, I kind of wish there was. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they slowly start to prove that, like, Gant killed Goodman in the evidence room. He got Lana to deal with the body. Um, One thing is, like, Another reason why Edgeworth is so upset about it is because the body was moved to the prosecutor's office. I mean, we know it was found in his car, but he literally drove it there, like, when Gant asked him to move that screwdriver back. Um, So he was driving his very fancy sports car around with a dead body in it, and also, like, unknowingly (laughs) helping with the crime. Which is a fucked up thing to happen. Like, that's one of the few things in this case where I'm like, okay, Edgeworth 100% gets to be upset about this part. And I also remember, like, Actually, before I move on from this, I just saw another note that I made, like, the fact that Edgeworth, like, I know we talked about how they kind of dialed down the, like, all murder is murder thing, but the way that Edgeworth looks at things, you know that he was like, oh my god, I committed such a bad crime by driving that body around. Like, I've done such a terrible thing, even though he had no knowledge about it, you know? Like, that's the way, you know that's the way Edgeworth's brain works. Um, (laughs) Especially on top of the forgery thing, like, that's obviously the thing that they're mostly focusing on. But honestly, I find that, like, interesting than him being like holy shit i like participated in this murder basically yeah but this part of the trial introduces like it introduces a couple of things which are really interesting with evidence the first one is like when you present the screwdriver to be like oh this is the thing that gant asks edgeworth to transport and it's been in the court record for like such a long time and like they even like draw attention to that in the dialogue around around presenting it and I remember so strongly being like, oh, you know, the first time I played this when I was like 12, I was like, oh, there will never be a piece of evidence in your court record that's like useless. It must be used for something at some point. And like, that came in so handy through the rest of the game. <laughs> where I was like, I don't really know what to present here, but I've never presented this before. And it must be here for a reason. <laughs> I just had such a clear memory of like, that screwdriver being the first one where I was like, oh yeah, that's game design. I understand this. <laughs> Um, but this case also introduces some really interesting things, which is like quite often in these games, they ask you like, oh, do you have evidence you can present? Or like, do you want to press further and stuff like that? And as far as I can remember, up to this point, the right answer is always like, yes, I want to present evidence. I want to press further. Like, yeah, just don't back down ever. Whereas in this case, that ends up not being true. And it ends up like playing into this really big like plot that like Phoenix works out through the case about how to like get Gant to trip himself up basically and 
it's really interesting, I think, and like a really interesting break from the rest of the case, the rest of the game, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I basically fell into that, I think, the first time, and then I was like, oh, okay, wait, and then just like follow up from there, mm-hmm. which is, I think, even though if you as a player kind of like try and like present evidence at the moment and like backtrack just the last time, I think. Yeah. It still makes sense, like, narratively-wise. Yeah, they definitely, like, I think know that you're likely to try and just go ahead with it because of that previous thing that I said. Um, So they, like, introduce it to you kind of softly, do you know what I mean? So if you try and present something, they're just like, mm, how about not doing that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so though that's the that's the middle part of the case. Um, It's pretty... It's shorter than the other two because it's just, like, them trying to go after Gant and Gant being like... No. <laughs> he does just straight up threaten Lana not to say anything, like, while he's on the witness stand. Cool system, great system, no one has any worries about that. When we have another recess, Emma shows up, and she... Yeah, oh my god, no, this is this is such an intense moment, actually. Emma shows up, like, after... We've gone through that whole... In the first part of the trial, she was testifying. Then we go through a whole part of the trial where she's not there. And, like, there's this break between, like, when we accuse her of accidentally killing somebody. And then we have that whole thing with Gan. And then she shows up again. And Felix is like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, doesn't even seem that upset. She's like, I'm just relieved to know, like, why Lana acts like that. Because, like, at this point, they think that Gan was blackmailing her to, like, keep it a secret that Emma committed the crime Hmm. or accidentally did anyway and like she's just like yeah i'm just really relieved that like lana has a reason to do that and like i think she's like oh she was just it's nice to know she was trying to protect me and stuff and i'm like emma (laughs) oh my god it's so sad (laughs) um yeah and then edgeworth says to emma like oh everyone said that she changed when she went to the prosecutor's office but maybe like it just became easier for her to like shut herself off because she was like under so much pressure <laughs> it's like oh edgeworth's talking about himself again through lana <laughs> again okay <sighs> this fucking case <laughs> all right final trial day are we ready yeah. Opens with Emma saying to Lana, Lana takes the stand. Emma from the defense's bench says, no matter what, I'll always be your sister. That's how you know we're about to cry for an hour. <laughs> Lana takes the stand and says, no, Gant never blackmailed me. There was no evidence that Emma, you know, did anything. I never covered it up, so Gant would have had no reason to blackmail me. And, you know, she's clearly, again, trying to protect Emma. She says, yes, I did change the murder scene in the Joe Dark killings, but it was only because I wanted to convict Joe Dark, not to protect Emma. And Phoenix is like, this is way too confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But he realizes that if Marshall had written on the jar Emma, which we have, you know, we found, then it must have been put together at the time. Whereas Emma saw it like flying through the air, which means that it was actually broken when he was killed. So it's like the timings there doesn't match up, which is like there's several things here, right? One, you could have realized this earlier and you would have saved Emma and Lana a lot of trouble. (laughs) Yep. Because we've gone through this whole case. Like, we've just spent about two hours being like, oh, did Emma kill a guy accidentally? Um, At least, like, basically everyone in the trial is assuming that's true. But then then they decide that it isn't true. Um, Could have gotten to that part earlier, if you ask me. <laughs> the other thing is, and I think this actually was from earlier, but the actual thing about the jar is, like, Emma drew a, a second picture, which was 
the blue badger head and Edgeworth's like well this is impossible because the blue badger only came about this year and the crimes were two years ago and you have to prove that it was the jar and you have to do that by like rotating the jar and this is the thing that I talked about last episode where I was like this shit is impossible <laughs> you're gonna get mad at me <laughs> oh no but I got it on the second try I was just about to look it up online I was like wait what if I need it work it's so specific. I st- it still took me a couple of tries, like even looking at the thing, because I was like, it's just like the actual margin of where you can put it is too specific, if you ask me. Yeah. I mean, even the, like, the right answer, let's say, doesn't make a lot of sense, really. No, like, and also I looked it up because I did say in the last episode, I was like, God, I wonder if it's just me. But I looked it up and there's like so many people being like, what the fuck was this puzzle? So um, I think the problem is like, it's not very intuitive in the first place and then it's also like way too specific so you can get the right answer but like just be slightly rotated wrong and it's like nope and then you're like oh well it must be something else but actually you were right but you were just like slightly off you know yeah i mean i got incredibly lucky because i think i remember like having a harder time the Mm. my first playthrough well fuck that job because one it's a terrible puzzle (laughs) <laughs> it's actually two terrible puzzles in one because you have to put it together first, which I also didn't like. And two, it caused so much trouble for Emma and Lana. Jesus Christ. Because it wasn't real. Gant just made it to frame Emma. Um, there's a really cool moment here where Lana starts doing her testimony. And like, so every time there's been a testimony, right? The character says their lines in like the normal way. And then it's like the cross-examination thing comes up. There's like a cut in with like the two lawyers, like their eyes come up on the screen, which is like, that's a really cool moment. And then it goes into a part where like, you know, it's a more gameplay part where you can like scroll through the testimony piece by piece. You can go back and forward so that you can press stuff and present stuff like when you want to, you can read it and like, you know, get it in that way. But this time when Lana's doing her testimony, right, she gives it the first time. There's that cut in of Phoenix and Edgeworth. And then there's like the green text, which normally means you can go back and forward, right? But as soon as the first screen comes up and like the text finishes scrolling, Gant objects. And it's like, the testimony has never been interrupted like that before, like when you're supposed to be able to like go back and forth through it in that way. And it's like, I have said this about a few things, but I never had any memory of that. I've never really noticed it before, I don't think, but it was such a cool moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so then we kind of get into this like, I mean, to use your term for it, this is definitely the final boss battle, right? Where Gam <laughs> takes the stand again. We know he wrote on the jar and, like, hit it to manipulate Lana. And, like, he's been doing this for years. And that's why she got involved in the whole Goodman case. And we know all of this stuff. But we have to try and prove it. And it's very, very cool. There, so this is what I was talking about earlier. Like, Phoenix develops this whole plan to, like, take him down. And you have to go through the, like, no, I don't have evidence. And then later you do have evidence. Like, this sort of very careful little bit of manipulation and this is the moment where like there's one part where Gant says like you have evidence of who committed the crime because he knows you have this leather you know thing with Emma's handprint on it which like obviously at this point you're like oh well this must be from where Emma pushed him and he knows you have that because it was in his safe and you took it out but you haven't presented it yet yeah and Gant demands to see it and if you present it you get an immediate game over I know this because I did it because we've had this whole conversation about me choosing (laughs) the wrong answers right so I was like yeah I'll do this because like all the other ones that I've done I've like I've taken some penalties for it, but the ones where I don't take penalties, those are the ones that I'm interested in because I consider them now to be canonical. In this one, I was like, okay, I'll see what happens if I present it. Immediate game over. 
So it's not canonical. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it really goes back to what I was talking about earlier about how like they introduce the idea that like you can keep your mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> um, and they introduce it in that casual way earlier where like you don't get a penalty for it. And then if you weren't listening, then you get a game over. Oh, so it is something that comes up again in later games. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this case really uses it to its advantage, like in a very particular way. Yeah. 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 Um, in other cases, I think it does come up again, but it's like, you know, it's like, do you have the evidence for this? And often the answer is just like, no, because something hasn't been, hasn't come up yet, you know? True. And then yeah. when it does, you can come back to the point, but like, you actually didn't have it. Whereas this one, it's all part of Phoenix's trick. Hmm. Anyway, you know, in the, in the timeline where you didn't get a game over, Edgeworth, like, really lays into Gant being like, you could have forged this, this message. And like, Gant is like... Like, it doesn't really have any effect, but the way that he... It's just a, it's just a big Edgeworth character moment. And again, I wish that it was more of a turnabout for him to use to use the farm, because <laughs> it's such a good moment. But imagine if it was like... I've been trying to articulate this the whole time, including, like, I didn't really articulate it in my notes, which is why I'm thinking it through as I'm talking. This is Edgeworth's redemption arc, right? Yeah. But they spent so much with that first investigation setting up the idea that he didn't need to be redeemed. And it's like, you can't do both. You have to either give me a redemption arc or you have to say that he didn't need it in the first place, you know? Hmm. Yeah. So that's why I think it undermines it slightly. But it's still a very fun moment when Edgeworth is like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a there is a fake choice. So... We get a photograph of the murder where it's a really, really intense picture of like Neil Marshall impaled on the sword, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like got blood all over him. And there's like a piece of his vest is cut out, which is obviously the one with the handprint. And now you can present the leather that we got from the safe. Because Phoenix says, like, before I had no idea that this was relevant to the case, like, going back to the stuff that Gant was talking about in the last episode about, like, well, we didn't even know if the murder in the police precinct was relevant and that kind of stuff. And it goes back to the evidence law book that we got in the in the recess. So that was, like, Phoenix's whole little trick to get Gant to basically implicate himself. Yeah. Um, because the cloth piece didn't have blood on it which means that like yes emma pushed him but at that point he didn't bleed then gant cut out the piece of leather to like keep it as evidence and then he impaled neil on the suit of armor which is very intense <laughs> um and of course he did this whole thing to like have evidence against emma so they could manipulate lana like jesus christ it's Damon gant up. is fucked up yeah, yeah 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 um but i will say going back to the whole thing about fake choices if you are like hesitant to present this evidence now because like you just said you didn't have it then on this one you don't get a penalty which means again in my argument this means it's canon <laughs> um if you're hesitant to do it edgeworth is basically like really gently like it's okay like now is the right time to do it it's different from how it was before like he basically like talks you through it oh and it's that's like, great it's fucking cute it's extremely cute not only in a way where it's like yeah the player probably wasn't sure at this point because you've just gone through this part where you're like it like makes you hesitant about it but also like phoenix has spent this whole part of the trial like setting up this trick and edward's like yeah it's okay now you can pull it off you're gonna be good <laughs> it's very cute <laughs> having said that like the way phoenix pulls this off um i just imagined like how I would feel if I if I managed to do that. And it would be like, it would feel so fucking good to have like set that up across this whole extremely long trial day and then like see the cage shot on Gantt from your like extremely clever use of evidence, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because of Phoenix basically being like, 
it's not that I didn't like want to show the evidence. It's just that I couldn't show the evidence before. Exactly, and it just leads to Gant, like I said, just implicating himself basically, and he slowly realizes like he can't get out of it anymore. And we have an incredible breakdown animation. So good. He's had like these little uh, flashes of like looking kind of like he's been struck by lightning or something in the other when he's like on his verge of breaking down. But his actual breakdown animation is just him like laughing like hysterically. And he he does these big claps, which um, yeah. I, I found out a fun fact about that while I was researching like the name of this podcast a few weeks ago, which is that because it's just two frames, it's like open hands, closed hands, and it like goes really, really quickly. Apparently, like when people used to play this on emulators, like, you know, when it was like most people didn't want to play on DS anymore because DS was like old, but it hadn't come out on Switch and PC yet. People would play it on emulators. And um, the emulators missed like some frames of animation. And because it was just two frames, like his whole breakdown animation broke. Broke, like he wasn't clapping at all. No. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. Um, so we get this whole breakdown of like, as I said, Gant killed Neil so that he could manipulate Lana. And then Goodman was like, actually, I think this is suspicious. Like on that day where they were supposed to be cleaning out the evidence. So he killed Goodman as well and got Lana to clear it up for him. But Lana now realizes that Emma didn't do anything wrong, which means that she's free to live her own life. However, she does have to go to prison for a while first on account of having done very bad things for Gant, which is such a bittersweet ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also another extremely fucked up Gant's final fucked up thing is that he says to Edgeworth like you'll understand what I did one day and you'll realise basically that you can't fight crime without being a huge piece of shit (laughs) basically yeah to paraphrase what he says and later on after the trial Edgeworth is like yeah Gant was right I am fucked up I'm inherently a bad person and it's like screaming screaming and crying (laughs) also like basically from like from this point it's just crying all the way down elana has like this smile animation that she finally does oh that's when i I, like i started like tuning up like with that smile it was like really really good the judge is like why are you happy and she's like i just feel like i have this weight off my shoulders even though i'm going to prison and stuff like yeah she's like it's been a long time judge and i was like oh (laughs) fuck so good um and then yeah in the trial she thanks phoenix and she thanks edgeworth edgeworth is very awkward about it and then after the trial they sorry i have to say another (laughs) thing before i get to the end of the trial which is that um when she thanks Edgeworth, she says, you guided Mr. Wright to victory. It's very, like, uh, gay people recognize gay people. <laughs> I feel like Lana, if she was around for the rest of the trilogy, would be, like, the most incredible wingman for Edgeworth. Unfortunately, she's not, because she's in jail. <laughs> I feel like things could have gone a lot differently, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, if she wasn't in jail, but... Okay. Sometimes things happen. Um... I, when, you, when I say that, I should clarify it. I only mean this in a very fanficy way. <laughs> <laughs> However, would it be a good fanfic? Yes, 100%. Um, <laughs> there is another, like... I remember you saying at the end of Ten of Our Goodbyes, like, the way that this game sometimes does things with, like, the very limited amount of things that are actually available to it is so good. And that, that one where Gant interrupts the testimony, that's a really good example. And then there's another really good example here where you get out of the trial and the end of trial music starts playing the victory music for, like, a second. And then it cuts out because Emma is, like, extremely upset. 
Uh, and then it comes back, but like, oh my god, that moment is like intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Emma is like upset because Lana thanked Phoenix and Edgeworth, but didn't thank her. But then Lana shows up and they have like such a touching discussion. <sighs> There's like a, a new illustration of them hugging. It's so good. And also, sorry to interrupt like the, the, the emotional outcome of the case, but picking up what you were just saying. Uh, there's also a bit, I think it's in this scene, or like in the previous recess, where like the Deal 6 song plays out as well, while Miles is talking about something about him. Uh, and that was like a super clever callback as well. God, I don't think I even noticed that. Oh. Yeah, I mean, just the whole of this case is so emotional. There's like, Phoenix has one of his like introspective like monologues, and he says like, all we can do is make up for our mistakes. And then immediately after that, Edgeworth shows up and says, I realized today I can't correct my mistakes. Just one of the most tragic things that happens in this video game, which has a lot of tragic <laughs> things in it. Um, Lana tries to reassure Edgeworth and says that you know, the detectives were the ones who were corrupt, but Edgeworth is not having any of it. And he basically says that he agrees with Gant and he can't continue being a prosecutor because he knows that he will end up doing some fucked up shit like Gant did. Um, Lana also brings up Von Karma and she's like, the problem with Von Karma and Gant is that they both tried to do things alone, whereas you work together with Phoenix and that means that you'll never, you know, have to act in such extreme ways, which is very cute. Yeah. However, it does not help Edgeworth in the slightest. <laughs> Phoenix also joins in on this by being like, yeah, one of the key pieces of evidence was like the evidence list that we both had half of and that proves that like we need to work together. And I'm like, that's somehow gay and like extremely, like it's, <laughs> that's fucked up, but it's also somehow gay, you know? <laughs> um, God. And then we have the credits. Yeah. Another set of epilogues, like we talked about at the end of Turn of Agavise, the key ones here being a little Maya teaser of her being up in the mountains, which is like a fun little teaser for the next game, uh, which is nice, you know, it's nice to see her again. Immediately followed by the world's most upsetting Edgeworth teaser, where the bellboy who we talked about last time goes to his office and he's not there and he's like, oh, what's this letter that I found? Yeah. I'm sure that won't come up immediately in the next case. Don't even worry about it. Ugh. And then we end on a baby picture of Emma and Lana outside the police station where it's like young. They're both like much younger and they're both so cute. It's great. And that's the end of the game. It's like the most intense heartbreaking <laughs> game in the world. It's somehow so much sadder than the end that was that we talked about before. Where it like wraps up pretty nicely, even though, you know, there's some bittersweet things in there like uh, Maya leaving and stuff like that. It's definitely a lot more positive overall. This one is just like, Lana is sad, Emma is sad. Like, I guess they're both like happy in a way, but also it's very, very bittersweet. And then it's like, hey, Edgeworth, just having the worst possible time. Yeah. And there's no way Can't to wait convince him. Too. Yeah, yeah. Oof. What a game. What a game. Yeah. And I still retain that. Yeah, it's basically like one of my favorite games ever. Like, no doubts about it. Yeah, this case was so, like, there was definitely some things, like I said, especially the whole thing about Edgeworth. Yeah. Which I would critique, but also the actual way that it all comes together and the way that... The, the way that it's like, this game once ended in a fairly satisfying way, I would say, and now, and now no. Now it's sad. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> which I guess they were able to do 
do because they, by the time this came out, like you could immediately start playing the second game. So it wasn't like they needed to end it in such a wrapped up way, which is interesting. Right. Hmm. So in two weeks time, we'll be playing The Lost Turnabout, which is the first case of the second game. How exciting. Yeah. Um, one of which I only know like the 10 first minutes about. So. <laughs> Do you want to tell this story now? Because I still find it so funny. It's, <laughs> it's basically like, I think it took me like a couple of months to finish the first game. But I enjoyed it like a lot and I was super surprised about this story because I knew that people like enjoy the series and everything. This was years before even knowing like Shay, which is like worth clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is worth clarifying. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to play the second game. Like one night I was just like, okay... I'm sure I'm, like, close to the end, and then I just, like, wrap up the first game and start with the sequel. And I basically, like, got to, like, the first... Like, I saw the introduction, and I was like, oh, shit, like, what's about to happen? And I got to, like, the tutorial uh, first case. And I remember getting stuck because I I was trying to, like, press in on, like, certain statements and, like, presenting evidence. And I didn't want to, like, look it up in a walkthrough. Like, I wanted to do it myself. Because I knew I had, like, using walkthroughs a lot for the first game. And I was like, okay, this is a fucking tutorial. Like, I should be able to do this. Because I only have, like, five pieces of evidence at that moment, too. And I couldn't. And I just, like, got to a game over for the first time. And I got frustrated. And I never played the series again. <laughs> I'm so curious about what part exactly. I think it was just, like, the very beginning. Or, like, the second yeah. statement or something. I, I yeah, don't know. but I wonder whether, like, something was unclear or, like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm really curious. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Can you imagine if it happens again? Well, you, ha- you have <laughs> either a walkthrough or me now so. um yeah but i mean it worked out because now we can really get into the premise of this podcast which is that you have no idea what's gonna happen true yeah except for some fucking spoilers i read but game two there are so many things which like you specifically i'm excited for you to see <laughs> oh wait is this the game where she shows up yes that's one of them, for sure. Okay. Um, another thing is, like, I realized that this game also only has four cases. Huh. Um, you know, like the first game did originally. So actually, we're gonna burn through it pretty quick. Ooh, that's cool. Okay. I think some of them are longer. Like, I think the third case is definitely longer than the Still Samurai case in this one. And I will say, I think this game has some highs and lows. Okay. But I think it's a really good game. And I think you're gonna like it a lot. I'm really excited for you. Uh, God, there's so many things that I'm really excited for. (laughs) (laughs) So, two weeks time. Yep. Uh, Before that, do you have any final thoughts on either Rise from the Ashes or this game as a whole? I think for Rise of the Ashes, I would say that later part of the trial where like both Phoenix and and Edgeworth are like working together, like basically like refuting every attempt of comeback from Gant. It's so good. Like it's just, it's basically like a stream of like you like the most the, the music ramping up in the background and you basically like going through all the dialogue and presenting evidence and evidence and evidence until like you get to like the funny moment that momentum yeah it's so so well done like with us talking about it here like you definitely don't get the like you say the way it ramps up like that like you can't get that through a description at all <laughs> like the way that it just yeah it, like you said it just ramps up so much but also like so many things get like woven in from earlier it's it's really really intense it's great and i love how much those uh it's just so satisfying when it all comes together true yeah and then at the end it's like fuck you <laughs> now it's time to cry for half an hour <laughs> um well 
if that's everything, I guess this is a wrap on what I have been calling season one of Telepath Breakdown, which is very exciting. I'm so happy hey. that we did it. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for listening as ever. You can find me on Twitter at jmcastello, J-A-Y-M-C-A-S-T-E-L-L-O. And you can find the podcast at Breakdown AA. And you can find me procrastinating on Twitter, as always, at Diego Arguello 6 That's Arguello. Perfect. Oh, and I also have a pun for you. Oh, yeah. I closed the notes. So I forgot. <laughs> Please. I'm so sorry. I almost cut you off. No, 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 no. I was waiting for the right moment. <laughs> so, if Emma was in a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> Do you know what she will say? I don't. You know, I'm something as a scientist myself. Very good. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we have a whole new game of this coming up in two weeks' time. Phoenix Wright Justice for All. I'm curious to I'm see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. For now, thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.